Hello everyone, my name is Simon Carver and welcome to Dagnall Street Baptist Church's podcast service for Sunday the 20th of February. Now if my calculations are correct, this is the 100th in our series of podcasts that started just under two years ago. Today's services are focused around one of the most difficult commandments of Jesus, that we are to love and not even judge our enemies. The theme of loving is a thread that runs through our music today. We've just heard Tom Waits singing, I hope that I don't fall in love with you. 
and we'll end with Randy Newman singing I Love to See You Smile. Other songs are a traditional hymn sung in 18th century style by Maddie Pryor and her band, our own congregation singing As the Deer Pants for the Water, and Christine Getty singing Good Shepherd of My Soul. Just a couple of notices this week. Next Sunday's service will be an all-age messy church and we'll be thinking about God's laws. Our next baptismal class will be starting soon. If you're interested in exploring baptism with no strings attached, then do please speak to me. And now our call to worship. Some verses from Psalm 37. Don't worry about the wicked or envy those who do wrong. For, like grass, they soon fade away. Like spring flowers, they soon wither. Trust in the Lord and do good. Then you will live safely in the land and prosper. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him, and he will help you. He will make your innocence radiate like the dawn and the justice of your cause will shine like the noonday sun. Be still in the presence of the Lord, and wait patiently for him to act. Don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. Stop being angry. Turn from your rage. Do not lose your temper. It only leads to harm. For the wicked will be destroyed, but those who trust in the Lord will possess the land. Soon the wicked will disappear. Though you look for them, they will be gone. The lowly will possess the land and will live in peace and prosperity. The Lord rescues the godly. He is their fortress in times of trouble. The Lord helps them, rescuing them from the wicked. He saves them, and they find shelter in him.
We seek to clear our minds as we come before you, Lord. If our thoughts have been negative of revenge or retribution, we leave them outside this sacred place and ask to be shown a better way, the way of love. Father, we thank you that we are loved by you, no matter what. You call us to let your love flow through us to other people, including those who may have hurt us. Give us the grace and compassion to do this, and give us understanding as we explore this today. Amen. A reading from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 6, beginning at verse 27. But to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks, and when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. Love your enemies, do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great, and you will truly be acting as children of the Most High. For he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate, just as your Father is compassionate. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others, or it will come back against you. Forgive others, and you will be forgiven. Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. You might remember that a couple of weeks ago I included a soundbite from Arnold Schwarzenegger in which he spoke in favour of getting vaccinated and he used one of his catchphrases Come with me if you want to live. Now, I mentioned at the time that I find the Terminator films to be an interesting lens through which to view various theological thoughts. Many years ago, in my last church, I used a clip from one of these films to illustrate a point, well, a point that I've now long since forgotten, I must confess. It took me quite a while to edit the film clip in order to remove the bad language. Having done this, I felt quite pleased with myself. Having shown the clip in a midweek meeting, one of the more refined ladies of the church came to me and said that she was rather horrified. I wondered if I'd slipped up and missed out a word that would have offended her headmistressy ears. But no, it was that the film clip was really quite violent, something that I had completely overlooked. I'd become desensitised to film violence, and fortunately she hadn't. At a subsequent meeting, we looked at the subject of anger and how anger, violence and hatred can all be linked together. Now, none of these is a subject with which Christian people can be terribly comfortable. Most of us would be embarrassed to be found showing anger, 
being violent or admitting feelings of hatred. Yet anger may be as natural a part of being human as feelings of love. The New Testament sends out mixed messages about anger. On the one hand, a text such as James chapter 1, verse 20 takes a dim view of anger. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, for your anger does not produce God's righteousness. On the other hand, another text, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, gives permission for our anger and recognises that anger is not in itself wrong. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not make room for the devil. Perhaps the best evidence against a blanket condemnation of anger comes from looking at the behaviour of Jesus. In the first chapter of the Gospel according to Mark, we find a record of Jesus healing a leper. The man came up to Jesus and said that if he chose, Jesus could heal him. The response of Jesus was that he was moved to anger. These are the words we find in some Bibles, but in many versions the word anger has been changed to pity. This is not an uncommon alteration in the New Testament, and it seems that there has over the years been a desire to distance Jesus from any feelings of anger. However, in the incident that took place in the temple courtyard in Holy Week, it would be hard to interpret what happened as anything other than anger. If you look at the first few verses of Luke's story about Jesus, you'll find that he's writing for a Roman citizen of some high ranking. And throughout Luke's account, you'll find that he presents Jesus as a reasonable man. Yet even in this literate account written by an urbane and educated man, we find reference to an incident for which the term righteous anger might just have been coined. There is not the time here and now to go over the reasons behind what Jesus said and did in the temple, but we can have little doubt that Jesus was expressing anger, and more controversially still, his act was an act of violence. There is a link between anger and violence, in that anger is the emotion which can be given expression in violence. Anger itself is not a bad emotion, and we might say, taking our example from Jesus, that neither is violence. Our difficulty is that we know how deeply destructive violence can be. Perhaps Jesus is an example of how anger can be channeled, but I wouldn't claim to be an expert on violence, nor especially in self-control. It could be said that violence without anger is more dangerous than any act caused by a rush of blood. There was a book written by Alistair Campbell, not the political advisor, but the theologian, called The Gospel of Anger. And in it, Campbell argues that repeated acts of aggression without anger develop into a violent habit which desensitizes. Campbell uses the example of war, in which a population is encouraged to hate the enemy to sustain the war effort, otherwise anger would be diffused and the drive against the enemy would be dissipated. I'm reminded of George Orwell's book, 1984, in which Orwell describes a two-minute hate period that was held each day in which to reinforce the need for the people to continue in their support of the fight against their distant enemy. The first casualty of war is truth, is one of those sayings that's been attributed to a number of different people, but the original idea seems to have come from Samuel Johnson, that's Dr. Johnson, the writer from the 18th century. 
it is often only in the history books that we find out what happened in times of conflict. And then we have to remember that there is that other epigram about history always having been written by the winners. In the last few weeks, we've heard about Russian troops lined up on the border with Ukraine. Earlier in the week, there was talk of the Russians withdrawing those troops. But NATO have said that this is not the case. There have also been rumours of false flag tactics, that is, fictitious attacks on Russian people living in Ukraine, which will give cause for the Russians to attack in retaliation. In Alastair Campbell's book, he concludes the paragraph about anger, aggression and hatred by proposing that it's not anger but hatred which is the true enemy of human peaceful coexistence. Later in the book, he goes on to see how anger can be the positive means by which one's feelings can be shared and understood by others, and more importantly, in some circumstances, expressed anger can lead to forgiveness and hence reconciliation, where otherwise there would be estrangement. So having spoken of the link between anger, aggression and hatred, I want now to break this link and look at hatred together with love. In the Old Testament, we find verses which express God's capacity for loving and hating. In consecutive verses, we find God both loving and hating. At the beginning of the book of Malachi, we find this. The word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, says the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but I have hated Esau. In these verses, we catch a glimpse of how the Bible uses the words love and hate. It's hard to see what Esau has done to warrant God's wrath on his descendants. And that is because God's attitude to Jacob and Esau have little to do with the behaviour of these men. No, the story of Jacob and Esau is about God's choosing Jacob to be the father of his people Israel. God has chosen Jacob and has rejected Esau. God loves Jacob and hates Esau. Love has to do with choosing and hating with rejecting. This sense of black and white, choosing and rejecting, loving and hating, can be seen in the Psalms as God is called upon to hate the enemies of Israel and Israel are called on by God to hate evil. The people who were responsible for the Dead Sea Scrolls separated themselves from those who were not part of the group and in their writings they were encouraged to keep away from outsiders and to bond with those within the group. However, the language used is that of loving their fellow sectarians and hating those they describe as the wicked. Something of this black and white attitude using the language of loving and hating can also be found in the language of Jesus. In him we hear again loving and hating being used to emphasise the importance of discipleship. The Christian disciple, one who follows Jesus, must choose. He or she must choose what is most important in life. And to emphasise this, Jesus calls those who've heard him to choose between staying with family or following him. Hate family, love Jesus. Choose Jesus, reject family. The true disciple must be prepared to leave anything behind, yes, even family, if it's necessary to follow Jesus. So what do we make of this passage today? 
here we have something different. Here we have something that might remind us of that conversation that Jesus had with the young man who was terribly keen to find out about eternal life and what he needed to do to get it. You'll remember that the man had kept his nose clean and had generally done the right thing. Jesus asked him what was written in the law of Moses. And the man replied that he should love God and love his neighbour as he loved himself. Spot on, said Jesus. But the man wanted a supplementary question and asked Jesus who was his neighbour. And this led Jesus to tell the story which we know as the parable of the Good Samaritan. This is sometimes seen as an encouragement to love everyone. In other words, your neighbour is anyone who is in need. This interpretation is a valid one, but it ignores what would have been the most obvious thing to those who heard Jesus tell the story. They would have expected that the Samaritan would have taken this opportunity to do further damage to this long-standing enemy, but instead it was this man who helped. While this story doesn't mention enemies, it's not so far removed from this passage that we read today. Just like the Samaritan in the story who, seeing a Jew lying half dead in a ditch, saw this as an opportunity to help rather than seeing it as an opportunity to continue a feud between the two peoples, Jesus' disciples are told to love their enemies. The Old Testament is full of examples of how the Jew should help his brother or sister when in trouble. And there was the law of Jubilee, in which there was an amnesty every 25 years, in which all debts or money or servitude were wiped out. Loving one's neighbour was nothing terribly revolutionary, but loving one's enemy, well, that was a different kettle of fish. But to borrow from the young man I mentioned earlier, who is our enemy? Well, in the first two verses of this passage, the enemy seems to be people who persecute Christians. Jesus uses language that suggests that the enemy is the enemy of the group as a whole. He uses the plural word for you as he speaks to his disciples. He's saying, do not act as those who separate themselves and hate those outside, even when they persecute you. Instead, love them. Jesus said that rather than hate those who oppose them, Christians should have an ongoing interest in their welfare. Just as the Samaritan made sure that when he'd patched up the wounded man, the innkeeper had enough money for the period of his convalescence, so Christians are called to be persistent in their care. While we don't pick it up in English, in verses 29 and 30, Jesus changes to the singular word for you. He offers some examples of how an enemy might behave. He might hit you or take your coat. We can only imagine why this might happen. Perhaps the blow was delivered as a mark of disrespect, a slap around the face. Why was the coat taken? Was it by a thief? Could be by a person in need, or maybe as part of a debt that had been owed. The cold-blooded British are not as concerned about honour as are some races. One could imagine Middle Eastern or Latin people falling out over honour, and even in contemporary British culture, you might have noticed that disrespect has become a verb. The knife-carrying culture among many urban young people in this country and around the world has led to the deaths of many young men as a result of perceived slights. If someone disses you, Jesus says, take it and smile. 
If in doubt over his overarching philosophy, Jesus gives his disciples what in the 18th century became known as the golden rule. Do to others as you would have them do to you, or do as you would be done by. How do you treat others as you wish them to treat you? And this means everyone, not just those who are on your side. One of the consequences of the case that was settled out of court by Prince Andrew and Virginia Gouffray is that the princess had to concede that the then 17-year-old young woman was the victim of sexual abuse. Sex crimes, and especially those committed against children, are the offences that many members of the public find hardest to bear. Crimes against those who are most innocent and which have, as an inevitable consequence, the corruption of that innocence, are those which contemporary society finds most appalling. It follows that those who commit these crimes are those who find forgiveness hardest to come by. So what do we say to the mother of a murdered child? What do we say to the father of the victim of systematic abuse? The answer is very hard, but the answer is also straightforward, if they're willing to hear it. It is that you should love your enemy, pray for them, pardon and not condemn them. Gordon Wilson famously did this when his daughter was killed by an IRA bomb at Enniskillen some years ago. At the time, and subsequently, his act of forgiveness was treated with some wariness. Many people admired him, but some questioned his love for his daughter. Others suggested forgiveness for those who killed in this way was just plain wrong. Suggesting forgiveness in such circumstances is risky. There will be those who will do to you as Jesus suggests might happen. They will curse you and they will do and say spiteful things. And again, you're to forgive. But this is not actually what we say to others about their forgiving. It's about us and about how we behave, how we react towards people. The last four verses of our reading turn us back towards ourselves and give a motive for our loving our enemies. There is nothing wrong in our looking to our reward and having this as our motivation for living a life following Jesus. We are to love others whom we may think undeserving of our love because God also loves the ungrateful and wicked. It doesn't require a great leap of imagination to work out that we are part of the ungrateful and wicked whom God has chosen to love. We are to be compassionate because our Father has been compassionate to us. Do not judge, because God will not judge us as we deserve. Nor condemn, as we will not be condemned, but pardon as we have been pardoned, and give gifts from grace as God has been gracious to us. Loving our enemies is a tall order. Returning more than is expected and giving to anyone who asks is hard too. It brings us to think about what should be our attitude to those who come to us asking for money when they beg in the street. It's hard because it's revolutionary. It's hard because it sometimes goes against our feelings. But this love is not about feeling. It's about being and it's about doing. This is something we've been called to be and called to do. And we must start by loving and forgiving ourselves. We must learn to love and forgive one another. God has made you and knows you and he accepts you as you are. 
turn to him. Turn to him and know his forgiveness and love. And then if you have any unreconciled differences with your sisters and brothers in Christ, or indeed within your own family, or among your friends, God calls you to make your peace. Make your peace so that you may know his peace. Amen. Good shepherd of my soul, come dwell within me. Take all I am and mold your likeness in me. Before the cross of Christ, this is my sacrifice. A life laid down and ready to follow. Prisoners that release from chains of anger in springs of living grace, I find a resting place to rise refreshed, determined to follow. us pray. Loving Lord, the people of old looked to you to rescue them from Roman oppression. But instead of being the conquering heroic Messiah they expected, you were, and are, the Messiah like no other. Conqueror of the enemies of sin and death through the cross, with forgiveness and immeasurable love. We pray for your church for all people under oppression today because of their faith. 
for Christians being persecuted and imprisoned in China and elsewhere around the world. We pray for all around the world living amid conflict, the innocent victims fearing for their survival. We pray also for those who seek to conquer others. We think particularly of the growing situation between Russia and Ukraine, and we pray for those involved in talks to prevent invasion. We pray for British citizens advised to leave their jobs and their homes there. Loving Lord, release Christians from captivity, soften the hearts of the persecutors, overcome the enemy with your love, bring peace and unity. Lord, fill all with the measure of your love. Lord, we pray for people at war with enemies within. We pray for people today fighting inner turmoil, those riddled with self-loathing, doubts or regrets, those struggling with anger issues. We pray for others who are fueled by the enemies of drink, gambling or drugs. Loving Lord, release all who suffer, all who are stuck fast in addiction and strengthen those who fight to remain free of such enemies. Lord, fill all with the measure of your love. We pray for all those in the clutches of debt and all those fearing the spiralling cost of living. We pray for our communities as shops and other amenities struggle to survive. We pray for those who are sick for those who have been shielding and are worrying about the end of COVID restrictions. Loving Lord, release all from their worries and fears. Heal, strengthen and provide. Lord, fill all with the measure of your love. Loving Lord, you bid us love one another, the good and the bad. Joseph in the Old Testament didn't seek revenge on his brothers, but forgave them for doing him wrong. We pray for those who have wronged us. May we measure with love, not judgment. Lord, fill all with the measure of your love. Amen.
in a moment a last song and I shall leave you to put your own interpretation on the words that Randy Newman sings of being born to make you happy. But first, a final prayer. Lord, thank you that we are loved and forgiven by you. We know it is hard to love those who have hurt us. Give us your strength. Help us to love our enemies. Help us to do good to those who hate and hurt us. And help us to know when we have hurt others, and to repent, and to seek only to do good. In Jesus' name, Amen. I was born to make you happy. I think it's just my style. Everywhere I go, tell everyone I know, baby, I love to see you smile. Don't want to take a trip to China Don't want to sail up tonight Wouldn't want to get too far From where you are Cause I love to see you smile Sink without a faucet, like a watch without a dime. What would I do if I didn't have you? Love to see you smile in the summer, in the springtime, the winter or the fall. The only place I Wanna be it's where I can see you smile at me in a world that's full of trouble. Make it all worthwhile. What would I do if I didn't have you? Just love to see you smile. I love to see you smile. I do, but didn't have you. I love to 
smile. I love to see you smile. 